So we are in a study of the book of Acts. And if you haven't been here before, if you haven't been in a while, if you haven't tuned in before, we are in the middle of a study on the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is the story of the early church, of the first century church. And what we are doing is we are studying first century church principles that we can put into practice in the 21st century. And not just church principles, but Christian principles. How did the early church live? And how did they do church? And we're going to put those principles into practice in the 21st century so that we can have a 21st century impact in the 21st century. It's what we want to do uh, here at GFCC. Uh, our mission is helping people follow Jesus, and that's what the first century church did so well. They reached out to the world around them, and they introduced people to Jesus Christ, uh, and then they helped people follow him better. And that's what our mission is here at GFCC. We are helping people follow Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, we want to introduce you to him. And if you do know him, we want to help you get to know him better and to follow him better every day. That's what we're all about. And that's what the first century church did. And so we're in the middle of this series. It's called Unleashed. Uh, this series uh, is all about how God unleashed his spirit, how he unleashed his people, and how he unleashed his church into the world to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And so we've been going through this series since the, the very beginning of May. And uh, we are 18 weeks into it. Woohoo! And it means we only got 10 more to go. And uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, I read an article about how to deal with preaching in the pandemic and everything. They're like, don't do long series. Just do like three or four sermons in a series and then do a new series and do a new series. And it's like, I couldn't have planned that any better. But uh, anyway, 28 weeks. Here we go. So we're in week 18, Acts chapter 18. Last week we left off in Acts 17 and the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens. And how many of you have heard of the city of Athens? That's right, Athens, Greece. And that's where Paul was. And he was walking around the city of Athens and he saw lots of idols to false gods uh, and lots of te uh, temples to false gods and altars to false gods. And even saw one, uh, he said, I see that you're very religious here in Athens. And he saw an altar to an unknown God or a God who could not be known. And he told them, I'm going to introduce you to the God who can be known. He's the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one true God who not only can be known, but he sent his son Jesus so that we could know him. He came into our world. He was not some disinterested bystander. He, was not so, he didn't just kind of roll the bowling ball and wait to see what happened. No, God is active and involved in his creation, and he proved it by sending his son Jesus. And Jesus, he said, came to earth, revealed the Father to us, Jesus came to earth, he suffered on the cross and died for our sins, but God raised him from the dead and brought him back to life. And it's because of that resurrection that we have real hope as Christians. This world is not all that there is. This life doesn't end in this life. We are eternal beings and we will spend eternity in one of two places. We'll talk about that in just a little while. But for tonight, we're going to move on from Athens to the city of Corinth in Acts chapter 18. If you have your Bible, uh, grab it and turn to Acts chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use one on your smartphone or tablet by going to YouVersion or Bible Gateway. Or better yet, you can use the GFCC app. We have our own app that you can download to your phone. 
from your app store just by searching for GFCC. You can download the app uh, and you can follow along with the sermon notes. You can fill in some blanks along the way and uh, remember some things throughout the week that we're going to talk about tonight. So we're in Acts chapter 18, and again, uh, the Apostle Paul is moving on to the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth is was an ancient, ancient city. It was uh, destroyed by the Romans in 48, I believe it was 48 BC, uh, but it was rebuilt. Uh, uh, it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar, uh, and by the time Paul gets there, uh, it is a major city because it sat right between the peninsula of Greece. And the mainland of Greece, uh, the Peloponnese, they call it. It was right there on this strip of land that joined the peninsula and the mainland. And so it was a major important city because all the trade routes went right through Corinth. It was a very um, immoral city. It was a pagan city. Lots and lots of temples there to Greek and Roman gods, including Aphrodite. So Paul goes to ancient Corinth, and this is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so here's what happened. In Rome... There was a large Jewish population as well as Gentile population. And there were some Christians there. And we read in ancient historical documents about riots that kept happening in the city of Rome. And it was because of a man they called Crestus, C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. Well, they think that may be a misspelling in the ancient historical documents that it may be because of Christus. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Jesus Christ. That the Jews and Christians, uh, the Jews kept trying to uh, uh, persecute the Christians and all these riots kept coming up because of Jesus. And so the emperor Claudius Caesar said, I've had enough of you guys. You're all out of here. And he kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And so anyone of Jewish uh, lineage had to leave. So that's where Priscilla and Aquila come in. This wife and husband duo uh, had to leave Rome, and they end up in Corinth. And that's where they meet Paul. Now, Paul goes to stay with them because they're all tent makers. That's what they did for a living. Paul was not just a preacher and missionary. He was a tent maker by trade. He made tents. And so he, along with Priscilla and Aquila, are making tents together. Uh, and that's how Paul is supporting his ministry in Corinth is by making tents. Kind of intense if you think about it. I'm sorry. Did I use the wrong tense? I apologize. So, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue every Sabbath to reason with the Jews and try and explain to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus 
was the Messiah. When Silas and Timothy come from Philippi, if you remember a few weeks back, they were all in Philippi, and Silas and Timothy stayed behind in Philippi uh, before heading to, uh, they didn't go to Athens with Paul, but instead they went to meet him in Corinth. And when they came from Philippi to Corinth, they brought a monetary gift to Paul to support his ministry. And when we read in the book of Philippians, uh, if you ever read the book of Philippians, and I highly recommend you do because it's a great book, but if you read the letter to the, Phil the church at Philippi, um, Paul thanks them for the gift that they sent to him through Silas and Timothy. And that's what this is about. And it takes place in Acts chapter 18. That's why he was thanking them for this gift. So Paul and uh, Timothy and Silas are all in um, uh, Corinth. And uh, Paul is reasoning and, and, and he is uh, explaining to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. He's the one that the Old Testament promised would come. And so he's trying to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, but he's not having much luck. In fact, um, they start to persecute Paul. And the Bible says, Luke says, that they became abusive toward him. And finally, he says, forget it, I've had enough. And he leaves the synagogue. He says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles exclusively from here on out. So he leaves the synagogue, goes next door to a house of a man named Titius Justus, and he talks and he begins to talk to him, who's a Gentile, about Jesus. And he is converted, and his him and his household are baptized, as well as the uh, synagogue, the, the head of the synagogue also becomes a Christian. His name is Crispus, and he becomes a believer, and many Corinthians become believers and are baptized. So Paul is having a lot of success in the city of Corinth. And now, if you ever read First and Second Corinthians, the letters to the church of Corinth, you're going to see that some of this success was short-lived because they had a lot of issues, a lot of problems in the church at Corinth, especially in First Corinthians. So Paul is a little discouraged, but Jesus appears to him in a vision. Verses 9 and 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. What comforting words that Jesus gives to Paul. He gives him these very comforting words. Do not fear. Do not be afraid to speak. I am with you. How many of you would just like it? Like if you were laying in bed, can't sleep because you're afraid, you're, you're anxious, you're worried. Your, your heart is full of fear. Your mind is racked with anxiety. Wouldn't it be great if like you're just, you know, laying in bed, can't sleep. And all of a sudden like a bright light fills the room and your eyes open up and you look and there's Jesus sitting on your bed and you're like and, he's, and he just tells you don't be afraid there's nothing to worry about because I'm with you and I'm never going to leave you and you got nothing to worry about because I'm not going anywhere I am with you and I will continue to be with you. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, once you got past the initial shock of like some dude sitting on your bed, you know, and then you realize it's Jesus, like, oh, it's, it's okay. It's okay. But it'd be great, you know. And I'm here to tell you that while Jesus may not show up on your bed tonight, I want you to know he's in your heart. And he loves you. And he's not going anywhere. 
He is with you. He is with you. And you've got nothing to be afraid of. Over and over throughout the scriptures, the Bible says, do not be afraid, do not worry, do not fear. Over and over, do not worry, do not be afraid, do not fear. Don't let your heart be anxious about anything. But know that God is with you and that Jesus is with you. Whether you're watching online or you're sitting in this room tonight or you're watching it on demand or wherever you, wherever you see this message, if you don't get anything else out of it, get this. Jesus is with you. And he's not going anywhere. And one day, you will be with him. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen? So, continuing on with the story of Paul in Corinth. Um, there was a proconsul. So, like I said, Corinth became a major city. It had been destroyed before Jesus was born, but then Julius Caesar rebuilt it. And then by the time this rolls around, it's about AD 45, AD 50, somewhere in there, uh, the proconsul, who was a, a majorly important official, the governor of the region of Achaia, uh, he was living in Corinth. And the Jews grab um, uh, the leader of the synagogue and they take him to uh, they, they uh, take Paul, I'm sorry, they take Paul before the proconsul and they say this man is teaching us to do things that are against the law. And we don't know if it was against the Roman law or the Jewish law, but probably the Jewish law because uh, the uh, proconsul Gallio says, look dudes, this has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my law. You guys figure it out yourselves. And he's like, I'm washing my hands of this whole thing. And sure enough, he's like, and so they grab the, the leader of the synagogue and they beat him right in front of the proconsul. And it says, I love what Luke says. Uh, he says, uh, Gallio showed no concern, whatever. So like they grab the leader of the synagogue, they beat him up right in front of the proconsul. And he's like, eh, whatever. And, and Luke's like, and that's the end of that story. And then we move on to the next one. So um, verse 18 it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Again, this husband and wife team is absolutely amazing. Uh, we'll see more about them here in a little bit. Uh, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cenchrea because of a vow he had taken. And now, what we're really not sure about is with this vow that he took, it's probably a Nazarite vow uh, not to cut his hair for a period of time. Uh, but now that he's leaving uh, Macedonia and leaving uh, uh, Corinth, he's going to cut his hair. His vow had come to an end. And so he cuts his hair. I just thought this was an interesting note that even though Paul had become a Christian, he still held on to his Jewish identity. Um, but his faith was in Christ, but he was still a Jew ethnically. Okay? Uh, so uh, they go to Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and this is where they plant a church. Uh, and he, Paul later writes a letter to them known as the book of Ephesians. All right, so they go to Ephesus, they, be, they go to plant a church. Uh, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus, and they meet a man by the name, uh, name of Apollos. Um, and, and I love what happens with Apollos. Uh, Paul heads back to Syria and Antioch, but Luke stays behind in Ephesus and lets us know what happens there with Apollos. Look at verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Um, the cool thing about Apollos is that he's from Egypt. 
Uh, and he ended up in Ephesus. It says he's a learned man. He's a very intelligent man. And he was very familiar with the Jewish scriptures. He was familiar with the Old Testament. Um, and then we read a little bit more about him in verses 25 and 26. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And what's interesting about that um, is that... um, Apollos had been baptized, but only a baptism of repentance uh, in keeping with the baptism that John the Baptist had preached. So he hadn't been baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, like it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, like the baptism uh, that Jesus had preached and the baptism that um, uh, Peter had preached. And so uh, Apollos was very intelligent, very smart, knew his scriptures. He could even preach about Jesus, even though he didn't have much knowledge about Jesus. He was able to put together the stories he had heard about Jesus, as, as well as the Old Testament prophecies, and had become convinced that Jesus had be, was the Messiah. Uh, in fact, that's what it says at the very end of Acts chapter 18, uh, that they continue to preach that Jesus was the Messiah. And so we see this, these two words, uh, these two phrases, that they were preaching that Jesus was the Messiah at the beginning of Acts chapter 18, and at the end of Acts chapter 18. And when you're studying the Bible, sometimes you will come across a literary device known as an inclusio. And this is when a word or phrase appears at the beginning of a chapter and at the end of a chapter. It happens a lot in the Psalms. And so like in Psalm 147, the very first words are praise the Lord, hallelujah. And then at the very end, it's hallelujah. And that forms what is known as an inclusio, meaning that that is a complete unit of thought. And so I, when I look at Acts chapter 18 and I try to find a unifying theme, I see Jesus is the, they were preaching that Jesus is the Messiah at the beginning of Acts 18. And they were preaching that Jesus was the Messiah at the end of Acts chapter 18. And that kind of brings the whole thing together for me that the point of Acts chapter 18 is we need to convince people that Jesus is who he said he was. We need to share our faith about Jesus. We need to reach people for Christ. And so I have some suggestions. If we want to reach people for Jesus, we need to do three things. First, if you want to reach people for Jesus, you need to be fearless. You have to be fearless. And the only way to be fearless is to know that Jesus is with you. There's a lot of things to be afraid of in this world. Amen? Lots of stuff to be afraid of. Coronavirus, illnesses, diseases, violence, injustice. There's lots of stuff that we can be afraid of in our world. But you know what? We don't have to be afraid to share the good news because Jesus is with us. And we should share the good news. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility, no matter how old you are, if you are young, if you are old, uh, male, female, uh, red, yellow, black, white, brown, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. And, and I was thinking about this today. Um, you know, why wouldn't we share the good news? If we, if I had information that I knew could make your life better, what kind of a jerk would I be if I didn't want to share that, that information with you? Like, I, I, have a, I have a seed. Let's say I have a seed. And, and I tell you that if you plant this seed in your backyard 
and you and I tell you how to take care of it, I tell you how to that it's going to grow into a money tree. And I have tons of these seeds, but I keep them all to myself. What kind of a jerk am I? And you're like, do you have a seed, like with you tonight? Do you have this money tree seed? I do not have the money tree seed. But how mean would it be if I knew something that could make your life so much better? And even better than that, if I knew something that would let you go to heaven when you die and I don't share it with you, what a horrible person am I? Like if I don't tell you how to get to heaven, you're not going to figure it out on your own. You need someone to tell you. Your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your schoolmates, your uh, parents, your teachers, whoever it is in your life, if they don't know Jesus, and this is straight from the Bible, if you don't know Jesus, you don't go to heaven. And we who know Jesus need to tell people about Jesus. But I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. What is the worst thing that they're going to do to you? Might get fired. Might get persecuted. Might get killed for sharing your faith. It's just a quicker trip to heaven, folks. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. It really isn't. Standing before Jesus and having been lazy with your faith, standing before the judge and having been lazy with your faith, that to me is more terrifying than what anybody can do to me on this planet. Standing before Jesus Christ, my Savior and my judge, and having to explain to him why I chose not to tell other people about him, that is more terrifying to me. We have to be fearless if we want to reach people for Jesus. If you want to reach people for Jesus, you need to be knowledgeable. If you want to reach people for Jesus, you have to be knowledgeable. You need to know your scriptures. And not only do you need to know your scriptures, but you need to know the arguments that people have against Christianity so that you can defend your faith. Ours is not a dumb faith. It's not. Christianity is a thinking faith. And we need to think critically. And we need to be able to answer the questions that people have. It's called apologetics. It's not apologizing for our faith. It's being able to defend our faith. And I gave you some resources last week that you can look into to learn how to defend your faith better. One uh, is reasons.org, reasons.org. It's a website about apologetics. Uh, there is a book like Case for Christ or Evidence that Demands a Verdict or uh, Letters from a Skeptic. These are all ways that you can learn how to defend your faith better. So that when someone comes up to you and says, I'd be a Christian, but I have this problem with it, or I have this uh, issue with it, you can explain those issues away and explain them to them that, no, this is why I'm a Christian. It's not just for something to do on a Saturday night, not just something to do on a Sunday morning, that this is a, a, a faith that makes a difference in how I live. It makes a difference in how I uh, see the world. It makes a difference in my life, a positive difference. Being a Christian is the best thing that ever happened to me. And let me tell you why. And let me tell you why it could be the best thing that ever happens to you. I have purpose in my life like I've never had before. I have 
an understanding of the meaning of life like I never could have known outside of Christ. I have hope. Hope beyond coronavirus. Hope beyond the grave. Hope beyond death. Hope for eternity. Not just like a little bit, but like eternal hope of eternal life. I have peace in my heart. Peace in my mind. Peace in my soul. Peace that the world cannot give. Peace that only comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Peace that comes from having his Holy Spirit dwell within me. There's, there's lots of good reasons to become a Christian. And it's true. It's true. It's a true faith. If you want to reach people for Jesus, you have to be fearless. If you want to reach for people for Jesus, you have to be knowledgeable. You need to study your, your Bible. You need to know how to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You need to be able to tell somebody how to become a Christian. Finally, if you want to reach people for Jesus, you have to be bold. You have to be bold. You can't be tap dancing around it. You need to be bold. You can't shrink back at the first instance of opposition. You need to be bold. You need to boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. You need to boldly proclaim that faith in Jesus Christ, that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You need to boldly proclaim that there is no other way to be saved other than the name of Jesus. You need to be bold in your faith. Can't shrink back. Can't dance around it. Can't hem and haw. Heaven and hell is on the line. And, and I know that people don't like talking about hell very much. I don't like talking about hell very much. I don't like thinking about hell at all. Because I don't want to go there. But even more so, I don't want anyone else to go there. I don't want anyone to go there. And so I need to get out myself and share the good news about Jesus. But Sean, you're a preacher. Yeah, you know what? It's easy to get insulated in a preacher bubble. But there are people I know who don't know Jesus yet. And so I need to be fearless and I need to be knowledgeable and I need to be bold so that I can share my faith too. So when I get up and preach, folks, I'm not just talking to you. I'm often talking to myself too because I don't have it all figured out and I don't have it all together and I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. And I don't have my act together, and I'm not perfect. Oh, I know. I put off this great persona like, oh, Pastor Sean. Nope. I'm just like you. And like we, and you're all looking at me like, we are now totally in trouble. If you are just like us, and I am, believe me. And I got news for you. I'm a sinner just like you. And I'm saved by the same grace of God that you are. And I have friends and family members who don't know Jesus yet, and I gotta tell them. I got neighbors who don't know Jesus yet, and I gotta tell them, just like you do. My challenge for us is this do not let someone miss out on eternal life because you were afraid. 
Do not let someone miss out on eternal life because you were afraid. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, my friends. And you need to put your faith and trust in him and be saved by God's grace. You put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him, believing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, believing that he is the savior of the world. You need to repent from sin. That means to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness. You need to acknowledge your faith by confession and baptism. You need to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible says that God will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will remove from you, as far as the east is from the west, your transgressions. And he will forget all about it because he is good and he is God and he loves you and he is with you and he wants to spend forever with you and if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ you will spend forever with him